Hello and welcome to the Monash University Perioperative Medicine podcast series. Today we are going to be discussing advanced care planning and shared decision making. My name is Jamie Smart and I am joined by Dr Deborah Leung. Deborah is a specialist anaesthetist at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre and at the Alfred Hospital and is the author of the advanced care planning module for our Master of Medicine. Welcome Deborah. Thanks for having me. Deborah, there's increasing awareness of the importance of involving patients in their medical decision-making process. What do you think is driving this? I think it's probably the experiences that we're all having as perioperative clinicians. I think we're all encountering in our everyday practice now older and potentially sicker patients having... Uh, much bigger surgery than we used to see potentially sort of 10 or 15 years ago. And because of that, I think we're seeing the growing need to um, to manage these patients in, the, in this kind of high-risk group who may have complications after their surgery and looking at how we kind of plan their perioperative process to account for that if they do have that. Um, and I think we know now that even though we spend lots of effort and we do lots of um, research and sort of clinical translational practice with uh, optimising these patients and prehabilitating them, that just simply because of the demographic change, um, we're going to be seeing older, sicker patients who have complications, even if we do the best that we can to optimise them preoperatively. Um, and so I think because of that, we're trying to really um, encourage and empower patients to be active partners in their perioperative decision making. Um, and as perioperative physicians, we're well placed to do that. So I think that's sort of driving all of this interest in the area. Okay, so perhaps you could run through what, what is advanced care planning and, and what do you see as the benefits of that process for the patient and for their carers? Um, so there's a number of varying definitions out there about advanced care planning, um, but they seem to sort of encompass three main components. One of them is the process of nominating what's now called a substitute medical decision maker, which is a person that would make medical decisions for the patient on their behalf if they weren't able to communicate independently. And then the second part, which is probably the most important, is to then get that patient to have a conversation with their substitute medical decision maker to outline the values and preferences that they would want that person to take into account when making medical decisions for them. Um, and that's, as I said, probably the most important bit is that conversation and the ongoing conversations that these two people have. Um, and then the outcomes of this conversation may be documented formally in some kind of advanced care plan or advanced care directive. And again, there are a number of names for these kinds of documents. Um, but again, the, the important thing is that it's a process that's continually visited so that it's an accurate reflection of the patient's current values and preferences in the context of their healthcare situation. Okay, and, and so how does that concept differ from the idea of shared decision making? Yeah, so th that's a really important point because they are two sort of very disparate things. Um, an advanced care plan is probably something that is one component of the shared decision making process. Um, so for those of um, you out there who aren't that familiar with shared decision making, it's a process or a paradigm of medical decision making um, that involves two parts of the conversation. Um, and as the name suggests, two different things are shared. Um, so the clinician shares with the patient what the most appropriate out there that are available for their particular situation. And then the in return, the patient shares with the clinician the things um, that are important to them. So the values and the preferences that, that they would want clinicians or healthcare workers 
workers to take into account um, when medical decisions are made for them. And so together, uh, when you combine those two pieces of information, hopefully you come up with what is the right treatment for the patient. And that's important because we're moving away from this kind of model of um, doing what we think is best for the patient to now doing what we think is right for the patient because those two things are not necessarily the same thing. Um, and by trying to get the patient to share with us um, the important things that they value, hopefully we can move towards making this right decision rather than the best decision. And I think advanced care planning has an important role in trying to get that um, patient perspective, so adding in that patient part of the equation in shared decision-making. Okay. So in your notes, you reference an article that says that healthcare workers tend to die in a different way to their patients. I found that really interesting. What do you think that that tells us? Yeah, I found that really interesting as well. And it's often um, an article that's quoted a lot in social media and about how um, doctors and healthcare workers tend to choose much less invasive treatments when confronted with, um, you know, uh, potentially life-threatening or serious uh, medical situations. And actually, there's another article that's come out since then that says that potentially that may not be true. But I think the reason it resonates with a lot of people, and particularly um, healthcare workers, is that it highlights two things. And one of the things is that... Um, it's very difficult to be truly informed about the consequences of, of choosing a treatment pathway if you've never been exposed to it before. So because of the unique situation we're in as healthcare workers, you know, we've seen what the consequences and the... Um, and the likely outcomes of certain treatments are. And because of that, we're probably less cavalier about choosing treatment pathways that may end up in a, uh, that may sort of cause us to be in situations where quality of life becomes impaired um, or compromised. And so I think because of that, um, patients who haven't had that particular experience before, so who are more what we would call an illness naive, don't necessarily have that insight. And it's up to us as clinicians to be able to share that insight with them so that they can make more of an informed decision about um, the medical pathways that they're embarking upon. Um, and I think the second thing is that it also highlights to us that it's very difficult to fully inform patients. So when we originally started talking about shared decision making, it was more this sort of um, process where as the clinician you would try and tell the patients as much information as you can about their um, potential treatment options and then it would be up to the patient to make that decision about what they wanted to embark upon. But we know that you can talk all you like about you know things like dialysis but if a patient's never seen someone go through that they don't actually get a real sort of idea about what that involves. And the interesting thing that kind of flows on from that is that we know from some of the qualitative research that's out there um, that patients who aren't illness naive, so those patients who have had family members or friends or you know other people close to them in their lives who have had what they would call a negative life experience, so you know they've seen someone in hospital for a very long time or they've seen someone have lots of complications, those patients almost then have a degree of insight that approaches that of a healthcare worker, and those people are very very keen to talk about advanced care planning and shared decision making because they do have that level of insight. So that's one way for it's a good cue for clinicians to take if they know a patient's been through experiences like that to bridge that conversation and start talking about advanced care planning. So these are obviously very involved and complicated conversations to have with a patient and their carers. Do you think that the perioperative setting is the right place to be having these discussions? Um, I think it depends on what you mean by the discussion um, and I actually 
because of the, all the work that we've been doing this, I don't actually, I've come to the conclusion, I don't actually think the perioperative period is the right time to be doing sort of a fully formed advanced care plan. And I say that for a couple of reasons. Um, one, of that, one of those is that we know that patients want advanced care planning to be what we call an iterative process. And by iterative, we mean that they want to do it over a number of occasions. Um, and so they won't necessarily uptake advanced care planning the first or the second time they talk about it, but they may do it the third or the fourth or the fifth time. Um, and as perioperative clinicians, we're unlikely to be seeing patients um, recurrently over a short period of time just because of the nature of our roles and interactions with patients. Um, and the other thing that we know is that patients um, want it to be done by someone that they know and that they trust and they have a relationship with. Um, and again, although that they may trust us as perioperative clinicians, they don't have that ongoing um, uh, interactions with us to sort of enable that type of relationship. And probably the third reason is that we know in lots of trials out there that advanced care planning takes about 80 to 120 minutes to do in its entirety. So we don't have that kind of time or capacity to do it in our busy outpatient setting. So for that reason, I don't think we should be doing advanced care planning as perioperative clinicians, but I do think we have other responsibilities. And I think our key responsibilities are to really contextualise advanced care planning and its importance for patients in this perioperative setting. Because one of the big reasons that we know that the uptake of advanced care planning is so low in the general population is because people really don't have a very clear idea of what it is. Um, and more importantly, even if they do know what it is, they don't really understand its relevance to the perioperative period. It's very much got this kind of perception around it that it's an end-of-life care setting. And so people think, I'm going to be having my surgery, I'm not dying, so why would I think about advanced care planning? And so I think it's really important for us when we identify high-risk patients to start contextualising for them why because they're a high-risk um, patient, if they were to have complications or setbacks after their surgery, why advanced care planning may play a role in, in helping them to manage that. So I think that's where our responsibility lies, is to contextualise advanced care planning and then to refer them on to someone who is more appropriate to do it. But I don't think it's our role to be trying to facilitate that within the um, perioperative environment. Okay, so, so if as perioperative cl clinicians we are are well-placed to at least have some involvement in this process. Um, why do you think it is that we're so poor at it? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and there's a lot of work around why the uptake is so poor or why, as clinicians, we um, are sort of reluctant to engage in these conversations. Um, and I think, I mean... I think we are very good because of the nature of our roles in identifying who would benefit. So it's probably not that. I think we're um, good at identifying that high risk of um, group of patients. But I think there are two key reasons why we potentially don't do it even when we realise someone would benefit. And the first of those is I think we don't feel empowered to have those conversations or I think we don't feel like we have... Um, a legitimate license to approach patients with this kind of um, material. And that's particularly true if we think that it hasn't been raised with patients before. So if this high-risk patient hasn't had the surgeon kind of talk to them about high, how high-risk they are, and we feel like we're the first person who may be bringing up that that kind of issue with the patient. Um, and so often I think we wait for an invitation from the patient to kind of talk about this because we don't want to distress them or we don't want to overwhelm them when they're about to have major surgery. But I think we should probably challenge that assumption because 
we know out there that patients expect us to talk about these sorts of things with them. So there was a really um, well done study by Palliative Care Australia and they surveyed over a thousand patients quite recently. Um, and what came out of that is that over 70% of the patients that they surveyed said that they would want clinicians to raise these kinds of topics with them. But in reality, only 12% of patients actually had their clinicians do that. So they expect us to do it, and yet we wait for cues for them to do it. So I think we should feel empowered to do it. And as long as we have, we're equipped with the right communication skills to do that in a sensitive and effective manner, then you know we should... Um, you know, we should do it because we have a mandate from our patients to do it. Um, and I think the second reason is sort of linked to that, which is that we feel that we don't have the skills to have that conversation. And we look at sort of these communication skills as something that we should acquire naturally throughout the course of our, you know, undergraduate and postgraduate studies. But really, we know that they're difficult conversations to have. And because of that, it's up to us to be proactive in trying to upskill ourselves in these communication um, skills just like we would with any other procedure um, so that we can feel more comfortable having those conversations as well. Okay, so if I saw a patient tomorrow in a pre-admission clinic and I thought they would benefit from um, advanced care planning or at least starting that conversation, where should I start? How, how should I go about facilitating that process? Yeah, so I think um, first of all, because you want to do it, that's obviously the first step in the right direction. Um, and I think if you've identified a patient as high risk and once you've completed your routine perioperative assessment, which you would do, um, there are probably two things that you want to do. And one of them is to introduce the idea of advanced care planning and why it's relevant to this patient. So that's kind of trying to move the patient from potentially no knowledge or very little knowledge about advanced care planning to then being at least pre-contemplation or contemplation about the advanced care planning process. Um, and then also um, trying to then elicit some sort of uh, the beginning of some values and preferences or goals that then may help um, to them to form the start of an advanced care plan. And also trying to really distill down uh, for the patient what those values and preferences are and, and give them an idea of how they can meaningfully document them in an advanced care plan um, down the line. Um, so in terms of contextualising it, I think the best way is to really start talking about risk because we're good at that, talking about risk as perioperative clinicians and also patients expect us to talk about risk in that kind of perioperative environment. So by talking about risk and then sort of bridging that by expressing concern for the patient and what might happen to them after the operation in terms of complications or setbacks, um, that provides a good opportunity to then talk about, well, if you were in that situation, something that you may find useful would be something like an advanced care plan and then sort of outlining what that is. Yeah. Okay. Deborah, thank you very much for your time. No problems. Thank you very much.